there's still space to play, space to have hobbies, space to uh, indulge the parts of your brain that actually make you a better professional when you're coming to go and execute your skills. You almost owe it, like you certainly owe it to yourself, you almost owe it to your clients to, um, to be a better, quote, quote, a better person, ridiculous term, but, but certainly a happier person um, in the execution of your skills by, by exploring these parts of your personality. In this week's episode of the Happy Lawyer, Happy Life podcast, I was online for my first non-in-person interview since pretty much episode, I think, four was the last time I attempted to record this show um, over the airwaves, but COVID-19 has meant a pivot, and so the advantage in that means that I get to talk to people that I otherwise just wouldn't have the chance to easily talk to, and the first of those is this week's guest, James Dapaji. I have come to follow James on a variety of social media platforms over the last 12 months and he keeps me entertained every week. He's a commercial litigator, so a long way from the world that I practice in in law and I must say I don't understand a lot of the legal stuff that he talks to me about on social, but he makes it so engaging and interesting um, and I'm confident that he knows what he's talking about and he's a great example of how to leverage online platforms to build a brand, uh, communicate a message and market yourself as a lawyer. That's, I guess, the the marketing lawyer aspect of James but what I've also come to know about James is he's actually just a really fun lovely guy Um, and this was a really beautiful conversation albeit quite entertaining because we tried to do this interview midway through the day thinking for both of us with children at home that that would be a good thing What James and I underestimated was the impact of his renovations on our sound and then a massive storm that decided to come in at the same time. So you're all getting the true experience of what it's like to try and record a podcast across the airwaves in this current climate, managing all of the things that we're all managing. But you know, it's about being real, isn't it, this show? So that's what we've done. So it's a fun one. Sit back and enjoy. Now, before we get stuck into the episode, just two messages for you this week of course ongoing thanks to my support from the college of law collaw.edu.au now i know the college like so many businesses have had to make a massive pivot in the last month so all of their programs now are available online and that has some significant advantages for us lawyers it doesn't matter where you are you're going to be able to access some learning and if you're like me and you've added some free hours in your day then now's probably the perfect time to think about doing some uh, skills or training or learning that you otherwise may not always have the chance to do so I encourage you to jump on their website colelaw.edu.au and have a look at what they're offering in terms of what I'm up to at the moment like so many of you I'm working from home but my business happy lawyer happy life is still plodding along I had a goal this year to move all of my workshops into the online space and little did I know that a pandemic would make that much (laughs) that goal much more achievable in a very quick amount of time um, than it was otherwise going to be so if you jump on my website happylawyerhappylife.com you'll see the programs that I would usually be touring Australia running are now available also online in the coming months. I've also opened the club e-doors permanently. So the club, as you know, is the membership that I run of lawyers around Australia and New Zealand. It's a pretty amazing group. Um, It offers a lot of support to practitioners, particularly those of you running businesses. And I've decided to open the e-doors permanently at the moment to try and offer as much support to people 
who, like me, are trying to manage the joy of running a practice and everything else that comes with that in these really tricky business times. So if you want to know anything else about the club or perhaps want to have a go and see whether that's for you, you can also find that on my website, happylawyerhappylife.com. That's enough of the messages for today. Sit back and enjoy what is a really fun conversation with a great lawyer. Here's James. After finding life as a lawyer challenging and sometimes anything but happy, Clarissa Raywood has had to work hard to find her own happiness in law and in life. In this show, Clarissa interviews key people with compelling stories, opening a positive dialogue about happiness in the legal profession that will encourage you to make changes in your legal life before it's too late. Hello, welcome to my mummy's show. This show is about being happy. <laughs> happy, happy. This is the Happy Lawyer, Happy Life podcast. I'm with James. He is somewhere not in Sydney. That's right, isn't it? That is right. That is right. I'm north of Sydney. Uh, Central Coast. That's right. A suburb called Copacabana. Very, very lucky to be here. Oh, my God. You you live in a suburb that is a song. This is like a whole story that doesn't need to happen right now. Before I begin, if you weren't... (laughs) If you weren't a lawyer, what would you be? Uh, an unsuccessful rapper, uh, game show host, uh, music journalist. Uh, yeah, some something along those lines. A historian, maybe a beer brewer. <laughs> we sort of throw throw these things around, but um, I tried my hand at a few of those and uh, and ended up as a commercial litigator. So it's intriguing stuff. I, I'm wondering if we'll find the connection because I usually do in these interviews, but yeah. I don't think anyone, when they've answered that question before, has given me like 20 occupations that they would do. I, I had a short attention span <laughs> growing up. <laughs> and Clarissa, I'm, I'm a lawyer who's the son of a lawyer who was himself the son of another lawyer who was himself the son of another lawyer. So oh, wow. um, I had it deep in me that I'm never going to do that. And so that's so um, interesting. Yeah. And so it's actually been quite a nice experience because I'm not one of those people who captained the debating team and won the university medal and the fire burnt for me to do law, law, law the whole time. Um, My final year of advanced corporate law, the question was posed around the room where uh, the lecturer said, right, who's going into practice? And two thirds of people put their hands up. And the lecturer went through the balance third, the remaining third, and said, what are you going to do? Accounting. What are you going to do? Banking. What are you going to do? Um, And I was going to be a music journalist. And um, (laughs) uh, it paid worse uh, as years passed. So it's a good career not to currently be in. Yeah, right now, definitely. Golly. (laughs) when we think about the world in this moment. Let's mm. go back. So that's so interesting, though, that you are like 25th generation lawyer and I find that really interesting because the little bit I, I know about you is having, you know, come to see you on social doing your great little show, Coffee and Case Note, and, you know, you're such a vibrant, fun cool guy um, who I completely think could have been a DJ or a radio person or whatever it is, and I think you did have some sort of side career doing that. You're not, yes. from, from my perspective, this will offend half of the commercial litigators in the universe probably, but you're not what I think of when I think of commercial litigator. So it interests me that you've got this strong history of law in your family. Can I go back? And where did you grow up? Have you always been down Central Coast way? 
No, um, I grew up um, within it. I was supremely lucky. Um, I grew up in a lovely suburb on the lower north shore of Sydney called Greenwich um, yeah. with my uh, mum and dad and younger brother. And my mum and dad remained married and remain married happily to this day. So it was a very stable, um, happy uh, early life. I went to uh, a uh, very privileged private school that... Um, Tony Abbott and Barnaby Joyce both went to it as well. Um, though um, whatever political lessons they learned, I'm happy to say I've managed to learn the opposite ones. Um, um, and then went to study at um, the University of Sydney. I did, uh, I started off doing arts economics and I focused on history as part of arts and I did a thesis on beer and masculine identity in Australia in the 1990s and 2000s, and I got okay marks from that, and I thought, I'm 22, probably can't be hosting trivia nights in pubs as my sole job, so I better get another qualification. And so then I went and did law as a graduate. Um, so I did it as just a, I think it's called a Juris Doctor now, did it on that basis. Yeah. And what was it like? Oh, sorry, Clarissa. Can, I'm, stop, I'm stopping you because no, you're no. doing your chronology in two minutes. But come back. What was it like growing up with your dad working in law? Was he running? Was he in a practice? Like, what was his role? Yeah, he he uh, was managing partner or alternatively chairman of the partners um, at a firm that his dad previously worked at and that his dad had previously <laughs> worked at and that oh his dad now works at. Indeed. And is that, um, is that where you are now? It is. It is indeed. Oh, my gosh. And we'll come to the insecurities that arise from that as we, <laughs> as we progress, I'm sure. Um, but um, I loved and love my dad and I loved and love the way he was a dad and he always struck me as someone who was who enjoyed his work and then also um, was very happy to be home with his family. And so in that way, he's an extremely inspirational person. And, you know, with all the other, with all the other potential professions I went through, it, it's, it's probably no coincidence that I ended up landing in the one that I watched my dad do for the first, you know, 22 years of my life. Um, and so it was more an insecurity that, that in fact still still burns for me now that because I've got a surname that's a bit weird and because <laughs> it's a surname that's been associated with legal work for coming up on a century more than. <laughs> the pressure I, is on. Yeah. Well, I'm very insecure about the suggestion that any achievement I um, achieve would just be, oh, yeah, he's just son of a, son of a, son of a. So... I've got a real insecurity about wanting to do it myself and do it my way. And so I've obviously worked at other firms for a considerable amount of time and had to consider doing other jobs for a considerable amount of time in order to manage that insecurity. And and it's an insecurity that informs me in practice now and, and it's led to projects that, that you and I might come to discuss as the podcast. <laughs> but, yeah, look, um, and, and if I'm shouting out my dad, I've got to shout out my mum who is – completely wonderful um she and i are well, i can't say she's completely wonderful and then say we are similar so, so just <laughs> forgive me on that point but you know you can people, say that you know those people you meet who you who immediately put you at ease 
and uh, immediately are open and intimate with you in a way that makes you feel comfortable and very settled in yourself. You know, those few people you've met in your life. Mum is one of those. She's a 10 out of 10 person who just the moment you meet her, you'll be like, oh, wow, you are the loveliest and greatest of all time. And, yeah, greatest greatest parents of all time. So that's that's the backstory. My brother's rad as well. So um, uh, I said privileged, didn't I? Um, that- yeah, I, but I think you're right. I mean, my I didn't grow up in Sydney and didn't go to private school, but I grew up in a perfectly lovely family. And I would say the same about my own upbringing. And I think it is important for us to say that because mm. – not everyone has that privilege and it's not privilege in an arrogant sense. It's an acknowledgement. I think for me particularly, I talk a lot about when I first started in law, how I very quickly realised how lucky I've been with yes. the family that I was born into yes. and how many people are, are not given that luck from the minute that life begins for them and what that can mean. It, you know, it doesn't always mean everything, but it, it certainly gives you a platform Um and I suspect a level of confidence and self-esteem that just is, and that's so valuable in life in terms of where we all end up and what that means. So I think it is important to acknowledge that. I love that you also say, though, you know, I'm a, a son of a lawyer of a lawyer of a lawyer, and then also, you know, again acknowledge that that of itself comes with a heavy weight um, of living up to the expectations. Oh, so I think it could have gone one way or the other. I could have just cracked my knuckles and been like, ah, easy. I'll just slide into the slipstream and, um, you know, be a member of a legal family and off we go. And as I say, the the insecurity about being perceived as a practitioner whose achievements are attributable to, um, you know, an accident of birth is... (laughs) Something that something that drives me, and yeah. um, like it really does. It's like no, no, this is this is me. No, no, yeah, um, I've made this myself, and I want to forge my own space yeah. in this legal space. Yeah, yeah. which is so interesting because you know I knew nothing about your family and your history, <clears> and I didn't even know that you worked in a law firm that potentially has had <laughs> family members in it. So for me, you are James, and. I only know you as James and the guy that does those cool things on my Instagram, <laughs> which are getting cooler, can I say? One advantage hey. around the isolation thing is you're getting cooler with your experimentation around social media. But yeah. I think that that's a I'll really... I'll cool any day, Clarissa. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a really beautiful way to see the world is that you are determined to create your own identity and I suspect leave your own mark whether it be law or anything else, I think that's a that's a really beautiful thing to, to have driving you. Well, I tried it in the rap scene and it didn't quite come <laughs> off. So this is... Uh, so this law is it is. Yeah, that too. <laughs> I love that law really is your format position too. <laughs> well, can I, can I develop on that slightly, Clarissa? Because one of your great triumphs as an outsider looking in is centering happiness as the focus of who you are in the marketplace. And that's a real, um, it's a real challenge to a lot of us of like, okay, we're going to go and execute our professional skills and we're going to go give our advice and we're going to do battle with heavy rain while trying to record a podcast. (laughs) But at at the heart of it, we're going to focus on this idea of happiness and for me, 
the pleasure I've been able to take in legal practice is that it wasn't what I always wanted to do. And to an extent, I sort of stumbled into it. So I did PLT at the ABC because I wanted to be a cool media lawyer. Um, (laughs) And then I spent some time practicing in Newcastle and I spent some time practicing in suburban Sydney. I spent some time in a number of other places and spent some time at this firm as well. And the fact that it didn't always burn for me that I definitely wanted to do more sort of gave me the space to get get to know the law as it were as it were and get yeah. to know the job and sort of fall in love with it in a in a low pressure way and i've now become one of those people who's able to say that i do that i do love my job and it does make me really happy to be to be in this profession i feel i feel really lucky currently you're living in a place called coca cabana which is just the best thing ever yes um <laughs> And prior to our isolated world, mm. you were obviously commuting every yes. day. Is that what your life looks like? Yeah, that's right. And I worked Tuesdays from home and commuted Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And that's a pretty decent commute, isn't it, down where you are? Like that would be a good yeah. two hours, isn't it? Two hours ten, door to door, I think, yeah. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's, it's, it's funny. Um, I'm sort of nine years deep in it and I always expected I would spit the dummy at some stage. Um, but I think nine years of commuting is a pretty good sample size. Um, <laughs> I suspect, though, my biggest challenge is going to be post post the current scenario we're in. I mean, yeah. if I'm sitting here executing my job without two hours, ten minutes door to door. Well, how am I going to feel the moment when we're well, okay, we're open for business again, back on the train? And, and I can imagine feeling a little. Um, conflicted about how happy I am about that. And I suspect that's going to be true for lots and lots and lots of professionals who are right now doing a great job for their clients in their in their tracks, you know, Emma Houston style, tracksuit economy style. They're doing a great job for their clients at home, seeing, seeing more of their spouses, seeing more of their children. And in a few months' time, they're going to be asked to hop back on the train. And I wonder how everyone's going to feel about it. Yeah. My prediction is one of the few advantages that will come from what we're all living through at the moment is a significant upheaval in how law is practiced. And I think in a good way, and, you know, you mentioned it before, like one of the focuses of what I advocate for is people identifying what makes each of us happy, which is different for all of us, and then living your life accordingly. And one of the drivers of unhappiness in our profession has been the rigidity of how you practice law, the idea that you have to sit at a desk and you have to be behind a computer and you have to be in the office and people need to see that you're productive. That's super important. And we've just obviously shown in the space of four weeks that actually none of that's necessary to run a law practice. And I think exactly what you're talking about, I think you're not going to be the first person or the last person that's going to say, well, hang on a second. I don't necessarily have to commute every single day to do my job anymore. And let's look at how our business could work differently to accommodate that. Now, I know in some businesses that'll be harder than in others, but I do think that's the change that's going to come, James. I'm I'm confident that lawyers are not just going to go, okay, COVID's over, let's go back to long hours and commuting and pretend like nothing ever happened. You can't live through an experience like this and not have significant change on the other side of it. Yes, it's not a good time to be looking for tenants for your CBD office building. I think it's probably, yeah. <laughs> it's probably the position. Yeah, I think that's right. 
I, I don't know. I I do. I am really looking forward, actually, for a whole range of reasons. One, to be able to go out to dinner, two, <laughs> to just see what happens. You know, I'm looking forward to whatever the other side of this is, because I think it will be a driver of mental health change in a positive way in our profession. At the end, I think I sense we've got a few hard times to get through first, but. I think the end game will be quite different. Now, it does sound like you're in the middle of a pretty hectic storm. Is that what's going on down there? Um, no, but I but I am in a shed with a very thin roof. Ah. So, so, like, Clarissa, just to take everyone listening behind the curtain, I'm on my laptop. Shall I? Shall I try to find another spot? Hang on. Come come with me. You don't have to edit this out. This, this adds to the drama. Hang on. Let me leave the shed. We're actually, as I told you off mic, we're, we're renovating that house. Okay. Okay. We're now under the house. That is that is so much better. We did it. Doesn't sound like you're in a cyclone anymore. There'll be a couple of bangs uh, because we're <laughs> renovating. <laughs> so up- now the builders are on top of us. We'll work it out. Yeah. It's uh, it's very it's very real. This whole working from home business, isn't it? Very very raw. It completely is. I was on a call last week to the children's court here in Brisbane and, you know, I've got two kids mm. um, and so they're downstairs charging around screaming at the tops of their voices. The neighbour next door is on his power tools doing whatever he's doing and then some giant trucks coming down the street at the other end. And I'm trying to do this conference call with the children's court and there's just chaos. <laughs> and the judge was so understanding because I, admittedly I wasn't the only person on the conference call in chaos. And I do think that, again, this will be one of the other positives that comes out of this is I think the acknowledgement that were, we're all actually real people doing real things with real human beings in our houses just trying to make it work right now. And the kindness that I'm seeing come through as a result is actually lovely. <laughs> I think everyone's that, just understanding. <laughs> it's that degree, degree of empathy, I think, that is, that is, that is what we're going to see sort of increasingly yeah. come you know, like you referred earlier to um, something I recently posted about being insecure about this commute, you know, on the basis that I'm doing big city law stuff, but I'm commuting from a uh, more regional spot. And part of that was the worry about, well, what if there's some urgent application that we need to run down to court for? How is Mr. Two Hours, Ten Minutes Commute going to be able to do that? And yeah. I think... It's that empathetic approach that now people are going to understand more and more that everyone's position is different and everyone's managed to somehow make a go of executing their skills and looking after their clients and remaining happy and remaining married and, you know, all this important stuff during this scenario. Mm. And so there'll be more, a more empathetic approach, I think, to our colleagues and opponents in future, hopefully. I, no, I think you're right. And I hope you well. I hope you're right, but I think you're right. Let's go back. Yeah, yeah. you Sorry. started. Well, you did your life chronology in two minutes, but I'm going to take you back to a couple of moments. So, you did an undergraduate degree. You were telling us in arts. Yes, um, arts, arts in the sort of liberal arts, sort of. Um, yeah. So sociology, anthropology, history. Uh, I started to do a bit of English. Uh, economic history, economics, econometrics, did some accounting, that sort of stuff. You pretty much did everything and no doubt had a lot of fun while you are doing that. But you said a minute ago you did a thesis or a master's or oh, something. Oh, sorry, sorry, yes. Yeah, so I did an honours thesis for history on, on beer and masculinity. Right. Uh, Tell me the, like, top five points from that because that's yeah, fun. Okay, okay. <laughs> so um, 
Oh gosh, I've not been asked this for 15 years. Viva voce. Just remember it now. (laughs) Short point is an understanding of what it meant to be a man in Australia and what it meant to be a beer-drinking man in Australia historically. There was, at the time I was writing, a developing new identity for men and beer-drinking in Australia But that new and developing identity for beer-drinking men in Australia was not yet a dominant influence in the advertising presented to men and women in Australia at the time of writing in 2004. I'm interested in this. I am interested in this because I suspect if you were writing that thesis now, that that dialogue is much more obvious than it would have been back yeah. in the 90s when you and I were at uni. Um, but jumping, you know, right again to the little bits I know about you, mm. I, I know that you don't mind your beer because when I was talking to you the other night, that's exactly what you were doing whilst <laughs> recording a podcast. Sorry, and I'm not well, critical in that sense. Like that's part know. of culture, yeah? Yeah. Um, but, well, then, should, like, should we elaborate on that anecdote, Clarissa? That's that's another silly hobby I've got. <laughs> I'm going to take you there, but I want to. I'm really interested that so you know early in your university studies, you were looking Mm. at the role, the role of men, the role of men in society. Something that I learned about you the other night is you're obviously a dad, a husband. You're juggling all of the things that so many of us are juggling as parents, and you for me are like a bit of a symbol of what I think a modern male lawyer should and could and can be, in the sense of. You know, I was watching your Instagram live the other night. You're doing this really interesting, detailed conversation around some complex areas of law that I personally knew nothing about, but I found it very interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yet you do it in a way that is contemporary, that's relatable, that is, you mentioned before, empathy, you know, empathetic. Like you've got this beautiful mix of old and new, I guess is what I'd call it, and I'm so intrigued <laughs> that you did a thesis way back when. <laughs> That taps into some of that dialogue. That's so interesting. Anyway, that's well, my observation of James. It's easier for me to call myself a feminist than it is for you, and that's and that's partly what the patriarchy is, um, of course. And so I I try to, in relation to gender, I try to be as sophisticated I can, as I can as a sort of white male cisgendered able bodied. Um, heteronormative sort of sort of person, I try to check that privilege and be as constructive for society as I can um, because I think uh, we are in this bizarre world where, I, like, I, I suspect, Clarissa, you would define yourself as a feminist but, but you would probably not be quite so happy as to jump on a podcast and say, guess what, everyone, whereas part of my, my male privilege, my sort of white male well-educated privilege, is I can jump up and down Malcolm Turnbull style and say, <laughs> you know, hello there, guess, guess, guess what I am. And so part of my presence arising from a study that involves gender and contested ideas about gender was trying to be a bit nuanced in my understanding of it. But for the balance of your nice compliment about old and new, um, the way I try to define my approach that, that, that we might come to is um, I call it sort of approachable rigour and that might sound a bit touchy-feely or like marketing speak, but 
when I was, well, this, this might be jumping ahead in the story, so interrupt me. But when I was looking at the sort of content lawyers were pushing into the marketplace, it was either approachable, so where someone would say, hey, did you know that a trademark can even be a smell? <laughs> or it was rigorous, where you'd have two often old, often white, often male lawyers sitting down and talking about Section 5 of the Civil Liability Act for 25 minutes in a detailed way. And so I call that first example approachable and that second answer, answer rigorous. And so I sort of thought that with a radio background and with this background in battle rap, which allows you to sort of put on the mask and perform without, without breaking character, as it were, um, I'd be able to deliver rigour because I'm an okay lawyer, but uh, because of my broader background, I'd be able to do that in a way that was approachable. So the goal always for me is to do approachable rigour and try to combine Blogsy, who's standing in front of his firm logo saying trademarks can be smells and sounds, and old Mr. Blogs SC and Mr. Blogs SC having a chat about some recent uh, tort decision. And hopefully that's that sort of old and new, uh, ho yeah, hopefully that puts, puts a bit of meat on your very kind old and new compliment because that's a compliment I take really seriously and, um, and it sort of reflects what I'm trying to do. So thank you, Clarissa. I think, I mean, it, it is what you're doing and I think what I observe having now just learned a little bit more is you're doing what I encourage anyone who's trying to market themselves, particularly in the online space, to do, which is just be yourself and play to your strengths. So, you know, if you've got a history in radio or if you if you have knowledge of rap or if you're comfortable in video, then play to those strengths. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, that's okay too. Go build those strengths and then play to them. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think, I think that's what that's what is so engaging in the online space is when people are just who they are. Um, and are willing to just show up consistently in that way. And so my observation of you as old and new is, is, is absolutely playing out in how you're marketing yourself in the legal space at the moment. I think that's so interesting. Anyway, I'm taking you back because I'm still at university. I know you're up here now where you're yeah, no, no, sorry. legal services. Sorry. I'm yeah. like, I'm interested in the detail back here. Ooh, so we somehow it. do a thesis and then yes. you mentioned end up in law, but you explore yeah. trivia nights or something in the middle so, so we're so we're at university during university i'm um hosting a radio show with a co-host at um, a community radio station called fbi radio in sydney and um i do that under the moniker peach that's my nickname <laughs> my um my co-host tom tom mcmullen who's now hilariously like a reasonable big wig at, at an advertising firm um so uh, <laughs> Tom, Tom McMullen, and um, and we did that for years and years and years through uni. I was hosting trivia nights through uni. I was doing battle rap through uni, which is the battle rap's the one where you get the two rappers on stage and they make up insults about each other on the spot in a wow. rhyming way to a beat. And so I was lucky in that I had a fairly rich life um at uni, oh, sorry, yeah, and I was, I was, I was working in pubs, pouring beers, and for an extra, <laughs> I think, an extra sixty dollars a week or something, I'd host the trivia night at my local, um, and that was fun as well. And so, 
peculiarly all of these skill sets sort of um, made me into the Frankenstein's monster that um, that now sits remotely opposite you uh, on this on this podcast, Clarissa. But yeah, look, I was I was lucky at uni that I managed to get okay marks and learn some stuff while also um, working on projects that that interested me, engaged me, and and um, pursuing hobbies that I enjoyed as well. I think that's really important, though, with uni, isn't it? Because now, certainly as an employer, I see a lot of university students going through law school who are just loaded with stuff that isn't usually fun stuff. It's like designed to get them 50 steps ahead in their legal career. And my reflection on university for the first few years I was there anyway was it's such a joyous time to be free and to learn and to have a pub job and to run a radio thing and just it's such a unique time in your life to have less of the responsibilities that you have at our stage of life now. That somewhere there has to be a balance between, yes, getting runs on the board to ultimately be a lawyer, but just enjoying that period as well. Oh, uh, uh, look, it, 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 it was certainly easier for you and I than it is for almost any student today, Clarissa, but, but it, it, it's also a choice that you and I made to make the time to um, explore other areas of you, you know, our respective worlds, as it were. I mean, I mean, you remember there were students who took things supremely seriously. <laughs> no, I just probably didn't hang out with them. Maybe that's where I, that's where I went wrong. <laughs> You're probably right. They were all there and I just wasn't hanging out with them, so I wasn't aware of it. I don't know. Of and head down looking grumpy, Clarissa. I can't, I can't quite put you in that, <laughs> you in that category. No. No, I was at the university pool most of the time. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> It's the joy of being in Queensland. You can pretty much spend all year round. I don't know. I just, it's, it, well, you know, I just, I think it's mm. important to remember that it's okay to enjoy that time and it doesn't have to be all about the next step. But uh, I love. Can I add a gloss to that? Uh, I, I don't think that, that university is necessarily the sole place for that. Like, if yeah, you are true. someone who collects old Transformers dolls from the 1980s and you're 44 years old and are really excited about it, then then I still say, sick, like start a, I don't know, start a blog, start an Instagram page where you're telling me about why the 1986 Soundwave doll is your favourite doll in the world. <laughs> you, like, you know, like there's still space to play, space to have hobbies space to uh, indulge the parts of your brain that actually make you a better professional when you're coming to go and execute your skills. You almost yeah. owe it, like you certainly owe it to yourself, you almost owe it to your clients yeah, to, um, so to be a better, quote, quote, a better person, ridiculous yeah. term, but, but certainly a happier person um, in the execution of your skills by, by exploring these parts of your personality. And it need not end at university, Clarissa. I don't want to get too confrontational on your podcast. No, it's so true. You're so right. And it's such a good statement because you're making me reflect and you've just brought it back to happiness. And I think you're right. Like that is how I feel my life all the time. But but just with stuff that I enjoy doing, not because it has a purpose and it's going to make my career more successful or any of those things, purely because it's stuff I enjoy doing. But if we use you as an example, right, anyone who's not following Clarissa on, on the gram is making a mistake. So go find Clarissa on Instagram. One of the, one of the joys. And be entertained by my clothing. 
Well, frankly, you know, it's, it's a proper little spike, a proper little happiness spike in my day when essentially Clarissa does a trousers check and you're always wearing very stylish, very baggy trousers that are in like wild <laughs> colours and we get six or seven paces from Clarissa's point of view walking through the streets. And that's not, that's not old lawyering if we do that old and new um, yeah. comparison, but it is causing a, you know, a colleague who frankly is a potential referrer of work to you to think, oh, Clarissa's nice, Clarissa switched on, great, they're the trousers she's chosen for today. hope she has a great day. <laughs> and it just keeps you front of mind rather than the person yeah. whose, whose name tag I read once at a conference 18 months ago and no matter how well we got on, I just can't conjure her name and so I'm not going to send her any work. You know, yeah. it's. I think you define it correctly as the new. It's, it's the marketplace we find ourselves in. Yeah. All right. You decided to do law. You fast-tracked me through that. You popped out the other side and you went to do media law? Oh, sorry. I've, I've misled you a bit. So, so 05, <laughs> 05, 06, 07, do the law degree, um, admitted in 08. Um, the practical legal training for admission, I did at um, the ABC um, in-house there. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was my ambition at that stage to do media law because that's the cool kind of law. And, you know, I wanted to do defamation and copyright and intellectual property and that kind of thing. And um, from the ABC, I practised uh, in Newcastle. And then uh, that was not especially long and, and my uh, wonderful wife was practising as a vet in the Hunter Valley. That was her first year out. And so we sort of moved up there to make that work. Um, and that was good fun. And then practised at a suburban firm in Sydney um, called Fox and Stanaland um, that was about 14, 15 lawyers and did uh, sort of civil civil litigation there, a bit of estate work, a bit of commercial litigation, sort of general lit so long as it was not family and not tax and not crim, basically <laughs> did that there. Um, and it was about this time, it was sort of partway through that where I started to be sent off to do seminars, and uh, I was sort of like, oh, actually, I, I'm not, I'm not hating this, um, and you, you know, people seem to respond to me doing this, and it would appear that there is something to leveraging this, um, not quite performative streak, but let's just use that use that word. <laughs> Along, I think that's what it is. Okay, alongside explaining the law. And so um, that very happy time at Fox and Stanaland um, came to a close in 2014 and then I worked at the firm I'm currently at called Makinson Dapache. Um, the name Dapache is the name of my great granddad, yes. So he's the first... He's the first in the chain of son of son of, and he jo- joined the firm in 1908. So, um, wow. so it's 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 a firm with a long, rich history. And um, my and I sort of my big inspiration for joining is that you know my dad and I are in the same profession. Due to this insecurity I referred to earlier, um, I've sort of strategically weaved around not spending much time in that firm. Um, yeah. Because of my insecurity about it having my surname on it, um, 
and then sort of frankly trying to just get over myself a bit and saying, man, like my dad who does the same job as me is going to retire. Am I really going to not apply for a job at this place through silly insecurities? Um, and the answer was, no, I am not going to not apply for a job. I am going to apply for a job. And so um, I started working there in 2014 and am still there now. And, and indeed, my dad is still there now, though, um, though he, he may not be. Uh, his great reward may, uh, may loom. I think that's looming. <laughs> What's it like to work with your dad? Oh, specifically my dad, it is amazing. Yeah. Uh, I suppose everyone says, so I'm a litigator and he's a sort of property lawyer with a big charities NFP focus. Right. Um, so we do zero work together, but he refers me uh, litigious work and I refer him transactional work. And so often I get to see how he's run the sort of the commercial side of matters before things get big and ugly. And often he and I get to talk strategy. Um, and look, you're always going to say this about your dad, but I mean, he's the greatest and he's not really the greatest <laughs> as a, he's not really the greatest as a technical lawyer. Um, also things like the way he treats people, the way he manages teams, um, the way he builds culture and both culture in the, touchy-feely, everyone's nice to each other sense, but in the um, building a, you know, like practice groups are small businesses within larger businesses and the way he runs a team and the way his team feel about him and the way he mentors people and brings them through and like really champions the achievements of others and really um, ignites the careers of other professionals around him, I just find deeply inspirational. So not only a great technical lawyer and a lovely guy and a lovely dad, also a really positive influence on the profession. Um, well, in fact, you said you might cry on this podcast, Clarissa. If we talk, if we talk more about that, <laughs> <laughs> it, might, it might be me. So, so um, what's it like working with my dad specifically? Great. Um, I suspect there are some crap dads out there or there's some okay yeah. dads. For me to occasionally get an insight on the way my dad works is a really fulfilling and nice, really probably nice part of my part of my life. Frankly, it's been it's been a wonderful experience. It's such a, a rare thing to be able to work with your mum, with your dad, with your family in that yeah. way. I think you know, yeah. and it, what a beautiful thing to have that legacy and that opportunity, particularly as it sounds like. Dad might be moving on to the next stage of whatever life means in the coming years. Well, um, I think he had a so massive holiday plans, but uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. That'll be happening in Sydney right now. I think that might be right. Um, <laughs> he might be spending it on French wine as opposed to French holiday, so that's good. <laughs> Can I ask then? So hmm. your your decision to start, so anyone that isn't following James, um, I've come to know you through what I understand is began as an Instagram um, sort of concept, but certainly you're using across a number of different social media platforms, this wonderful little video series called Coffee and Case Note. Mm. Where did the decision come to start that? And when did you start that? So it was a few things coming together. Um, it began as a LinkedIn project. Um, oh. So... Uh, I started lurking on LinkedIn in about May 2018. Uh, I started seeing 
uh, videos of lawyers rarely but occasionally pop up and they were in these two categories I referred to earlier. We've got mm. old mate standing in front of his uh, firms and his, and I, and I use that term deliberately, always blokes, um, standing in front of his logo uh, saying something very wishy-washy about, uh, did you know trademarks can also be smelled? Come in and talk to us for an obligation-free discussion about like, trademarks, blah, blah, blah. And then you occasionally saw a link to two old, uh, venerable, as I say, almost always white, almost always male uh, lawyers talking about the meaty, deep parts of the law. And so, as I might have said to you earlier, we call our call our old mate from the start, we call him approachable, and we call our old blokes at the end, we'll call them rigorous. And so... With some of my background in radio and background in sort of battle rap, that, that, that ability to just commit something to memory and deliver it with no rehearsal without really flinching, I thought, right, I think I can do videos that are approachable rigour. And so that was my thought process. Now, at about that time, I was promoted, which is very nice. Uh, at about that time, a matter settled, which meant that I had more time on my hands than I was accustomed to. And so, um, and also at about that time, I'd been writing very brief case notes on LinkedIn using quite casual, digestible language in about 1,300 characters. And 1,300 characters is not a lot for a piece of complex commercial lit. Wouldn't be a lot for a piece of family law litigation either, I'm sure. Um, but... I sort of found some traction with doing these brief digestible case notes. I had been promoted, had a bit of time on my hands, wanted to start building business uh, and sort of thought, right, I'm, I'm going to give this a crack. And that was September 2018. The case was called Shanahan and Jatese. It was all about corporate oppression and Section 232 <laughs> of the Corporations Act. I love that you even remember the first one. <laughs> uh, you, never, you never forget never forget your first coffee in a case note, um, Clarissa. It's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's um look it's a great and 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 sorry so so from there it became weekly-ish videos delivered to camera summarizing recent pieces of commercial litigation and it expanded from linkedin um to me ripping the audio for a podcast which is called coffee and a case note uh for it's a youtube channel it's a facebook page it's an instagram page it's we're on twitter we're on tiktok we're kind of, I sort of, I, yeah, look, look, and the thrust is I don't want to have to say, hey, Clarissa, come find me on YouTube. I sort of want to say, hey, Clarissa, wherever you like to be, whether you're a Twitter person, whether you're a Facebook person, whether you're an Instagram person, I've, you know, I'm, I'm happy to come join you there. And hopefully, um, you, you know, you'll get some value from coming to join me there. I don't need to say come to me. I'll say, hey, I'll come to you. And that's sort of the approach I've got to trying to be across multiple platforms. But the other cold calculated reason for being on multiple platforms is that algorithms change. And so yeah. the Facebook page that's got 150,000 followers now is worth diddly squat because those followers can't be reached um, due to a, without a significant amount of money being spent due to a change in the way Facebook works. And so they're now, I don't know, Instagram influencer with tens of thousands of followers. Well, 
Instagram's going to change one day and they will find that they're not able to reach everyone as much as they'd like. And so it is a wise content strategy to have a a diverse portfolio of places where you publish, Um, firstly because it reduces your exposure to that risk of a platform change and secondly because it makes you better across the board. So I say... I mean, I now do case summaries on TikTok in 10 seconds, and that's properly <laughs> One difficult. dancing, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's also a good question. No, I've sort of made the decision, <laughs> I've made the decision to, to, not, to not try to um, do what everyone else does, just try to come on and do what I do, hopefully in a TikTok-friendly way, if that makes sense. So, so, so sort of yeah. rather... Saying, hey, don't worry, I'm in the crowd too. Uh, I've sort of tried to take the position of saying, well, I'm here doing this. Um, if you like it, that's good. And if you don't, that's good as well. And um, you don't have to be a part of it if you don't want to. Yeah. And so far, it's been good fun. I think it's like you've given so many helpful tips there for anyone listening that is half <laughs> contemplating a content marketing strategy. It's like the beginning to end there of what you should and shouldn't do. Um, You're so right about the importance of being across multiple platforms and I agree with you around algorithms and I always think to myself, like, we don't own the real estate. We don't own Facebook. We don't own Instagram. We don't own LinkedIn. So you don't want to put all of your eggs in a basket when you don't own the real estate. Mm. Um, And I love that you also describe it as, you know, you show up where where I want to be and so that's why I think you're an Instagram person because it's the platform I love to be on and that's where I no doubt first found you, not realising that, in fact, you'd started on LinkedIn or or wherever else. You know, I think that's a really important thing for people to think about as well. Um, And the other part of it is repurposing. Something you're great at doing is, you know, here's this one thing but here's how I turn it into TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, no doubt a blog somewhere else on a website if you wanted to, a podcast. Like that that concept of repurposing is so important if you are going to start a content marketing strategy because otherwise you'd be exhausted. If you're trying to always create different content for every single place, it's taking your piece of content and asking how do I turn that into something appropriate for Instagram or appropriate for LinkedIn? And sometimes they are exactly the same and sometimes they're not. So just being a bit more conscious and mindful of that. I can't agree with that. Yeah. Uh, What's the, the result results is, of all this? Um, uh, uh, sorry, I would have dropped 1,500 to 2,000 hours on it and my charge-out yeah. rate, um, I'm yet to make a million bucks in, um, in, <laughs> in, in billings from it. So the result is definitely not an immediate and direct translation to work. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry, and it and it, I guess it goes without saying. Anyone adopting a strategy like this that is not a salesy strategy, that is instead a branding strategy, and we can talk about the difference between sales and branding whenever you want, Clarissa. And I expect you've got fairly settled views on that. Um, but yes, it certainly has not generated the direct work that we would have expected um, to come from one side um, or the other in a direct way. But mm. it has achieved its 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 branding perspective. So, if I think about um, the inquiries I now get that are just direct DMs, direct inboxes to, sorry, um, if you can hear that in the background, we definitely are renovating. That's a drop sheet you can hear. Um, <laughs> and anyone else listening who's um, it's been in the We are living it with you in real yeah, time. Yes. 
yes, it's, um, you can almost taste. You can almost taste how uh, functional our kitchen will be in three months. It's going to be great. Um, <laughs> um, and I've completely lost my train of thought. Sorry. Um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the outcome. So, firstly, the monetary return is not immediate, and there is a leap of faith element where I'm saying, well. I'm going to be in practice for another 35 years and I'm not expecting this to start paying massive monetary dividends until, um, well, sorry, in the immediate term. I'm expecting it to pay (laughs) massive monetary dividends in the long term, certainly. But um, there's a degree to which you have to hold your breath and say, well, I'm not going to sit out here and sell, sell, sell. I'm not going to sit out here and say, so call me now if you've got a corporate oppression dispute. I'm going to try to build a brand as someone who knows the law rigorously, someone who you can talk to about the law in an approachable way, and doing doing that, um, hopefully, hopefully, um, you know, achieving happiness and um, and a balance of work and life and financial success and all that sort of good stuff. And so, the results so far taking that measure, which is not a financial measure, have been really great. Um, I am um, known by people who I want to be known by, which is to say people who are potentially going to refer me work, like accountants and insolvency practitioners and um, non-executive directors and uh, financial advisors and um, people on the board of SMEs. And charities and NFPs, these are these are the sort of people I'm looking to become prominent to. So it's worked that way. And um, it's also been a source of professional development for me uh, as well that has been great because, you know, it's one thing to read a judgment. It's another thing to write about a judgment. It's another thing to read about a judgment, write about a judgment, um, sit down and try to condense those extended thoughts into various repurposed pieces of content in a way that helps people. And then the the final impact that's been super nice has been I occasionally get contacted by mums who say, my 14-year-old, Relisha May, is in year nine and she's captain of a debating team and we're just thinking about what she wants to do and she and I sit down together and watch your videos and we try to figure out, like, how it's all going to happen at the end. And thanks so much for helping her learn about the law. Oh, and my that, gosh, that's so cool. It's so nice, Clarissa. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lovely thing to have someone say. Yeah. The idea that, the, the idea that it's assisting people, um, that's, that, that uh, look, of, of course I want to, you know, make a lot of money and all that sort of uh, formal stuff and, you know, build a practice group and blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's often the um, more human elements where people say you've really helped them, where people say that they take value from having you as a part of their life, where people say that you've made them better at their job. I mean, that's really properly nice. Uh, so that's probably my favourite result. Yeah, professional development or the super nice messages. The really impact. Hmm. I, look, I asked that question, you know, it was a, it's a loaded question. I remember reading a 
blog that you wrote over Christmas, I think it was, where you spoke really openly about well, what is the tangible benefit of this effort that I'm putting in. And what's so important to remember is, you know, what is the tangible benefit? Well, it depends on your measure of success. And I think you've described beautifully there. This isn't about doing a video series, generating leads and creating dollars next week. There is that's part of it, sure, and that's my long-term goal. I'm playing a long game, not a short game. But if we sit and think, I love your um, explanation of, well, hang on, think about the professional development I'm doing here, like the time it's taking for me to read these things, be across them, and then be able to break them down into plain language that everyone can understand. Like that's incredibly powerful. And I imagine most of us are doing that for our work anyway, in the sense of reading things to stay on top of the law, like you're turning that into something much bigger and much more valuable. And then most importantly, that final one you mentioned about the impact on others. I think that that's one of the most beautiful parts of starting to stand up above the crowd um, is people will reach out to you. I certainly get that through this show. Each week I'll hear from someone saying, you know, I listened to this episode with this person and as a result of that, I've done this and I wanted to let you know. And I think that that in life is something that matters to me. It's obviously something that matters to you, that ability to impact the actions of others in a positive way um, is so powerful. And one of the beauties of the online space when it's used well is exactly that, the ability to influence in a good way um, and inspire others to take action and to change. I don't think you could put dollars on that. Uh, well, I've got 35 years to test your theory, but... but. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, like it certainly is super fulfilling, and 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 Clarissa, I, I look, I'm I'm one of the fans of your pod um, who takes great great value from it, and, and and we sort of traversed it a little bit at the start, but the idea of centering um, happiness as a professional pursuit, you know, as something that it is legitimate for lawyers in a reasonably sort of competitive environment in a field where you can be judged literally on wins and losses, where everyone's a bit of an alpha A-type personality, it takes chutzpah to stand out and say, no, no, I'm, I'm the person who's going to champion for you that it is okay for you to want this. It is okay for you to want to go out and pursue happiness. And I think that's a really powerful thing to have done and to continue to be doing. And it's something that I take great inspiration from. It's something that... Like you've given all of us space in our practice to say, all right, does this make money? Is this strategically good? Does it make me happy? And I think that's such a powerful thing to give people and I'm really pleased that you take value from the notes you get about it because those notes will just be the tip of the iceberg of the impact you're having. So so thank you, Clarissa, is the point. <laughs> now you will make me cry. It's such a strange thing, you know, it'd be the same for you with what you've done with Coffee and Case Note and for me with, you know, happiness. Yeah. You don't, I didn't set out to do what you're talking about there. Yeah. I just set out to share with others some of the thoughts I had about what I was going through in law and why I just didn't think that was necessary. I thought I was can, doing I thought I was doing the ice bucket challenge when I started. I I sort of thought that some other lawyer would shoot back with their coffee in a case note about some piece of Queensland civil liability law or or something like that and that that we get things rolling. But it's, yeah, it's it's a funny one that these things morph and that that we have goals for it that, you know, sort sort of evolve over time. 
Yeah. Hmm. Tell me this. When it comes to happiness in law Mm -hmm. and in life and all of these things, you are Mm -hmm. someone that I think has has struck a good, I hate the word balance, but a good sense of, you know, your human life, your work life, allowing the two to merge at times. Mm -hmm. Um, What is it for you? Like what do you do? What are your rituals, routines that keep happiness and keep wellness at the centre of your work life? Uh, I I don't know. <laughs> so um, I'm quite lucky that way. Like my, my, I can probably only answer in the negative. The things that made me anxious are feeling like, like the phrase in my head is not is not building enough, not building enough, not building enough, and that is a that is an anxiety that is a sort of hunt that I'm on. So I go right, not building enough. Ask more people for work. Right, cool. How do we approach the marketplace? Not building enough, right, I've got to go, bring some more value, help some more people. Hopefully that way we'll solve not building enough. Mm-hmm. And so for so long as I feel like I'm going to war with not building enough, I sort of feel like, um, you know, I've got some fairly competitive, confrontational, assertive elements to my personality as well as the nice smiling bits. I quite like feeling like... I'm out in the jungle, out in the marketplace, out on the hunt. And so the things I do that make me feel like I'm in the marketplace, on the hunt, trying to win work, trying to help people, trying to bring value, that in and of itself brings me value. The fact that, sorry, brings me happiness. The idea that I'm confronting not billing enough in a constructive way rather than sitting on my hands and saying, not billing enough. <laughs> Partnership can sort that out. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, we'll see. Well, no, but so, sorry, it's, it's broader. So it's not no, just I mean, me. the partnership, not you. Like, the partnership is what I mean there. You know, like that attitude that some people have of that's sort of not my problem. That's the problem of the business owner. I well, exactly. to do my work. What I like about what you've got is a different mindset, which is, well, it is my problem and how am I going to tackle it? Yes, but also, uh, Clarissa, now that you and I are partners, you're not billing enough. And so how am I going to help you? <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's a, there's a there's a cold, calculated commercial heart. Like there's a reason I'm not a pro bono lawyer. Like it, it's it's <laughs> there is a, there is a commercial element to it, but it's one that only brings me value if, if I feel I'm enriching the life of people who I've interacted with. So yeah. while, while I don't quite aim to be friends with clients, um, I do aim to think about their problems in the most lateral way possible. And that, and that brings me happiness, the idea that I'm executing well. But the more um, broader lifestyle stuff, uh, the, the biggest advice I can give is to allow, is frankly, to let the mask slip. And that's another great impact of Coffee in a Case Style that I should have mentioned earlier. It has given me the latitude to be myself and therefore to vet anyone who comes and speaks with me because if you're either going to like me or not but with coffee in a case note you'll get to form a view beforehand and that means that any conversations I have from now are almost exclusively with people who have vetted me beforehand and decided they like me because if anyone vets me and decides they don't like me that's great we don't have to be friends we don't we don't have to see each other so The interactions I have now are with people who have decided that they would like to choose to interact with me. And that in and of itself, being around people who are like-minded, being around people who appreciate what you do, is deeply fulfilling. 
I'm nodding, which is useless on a podcast. I've just realised I'm sitting here like nodding, going, yes. And then I'm like, oh, that's right. That's a silent activity that doesn't work well on a podcast. And then, and then the balance <laughs> um, try to do a bit of exercise if I can. Like the shed that, that we were just in that was getting rained on has some exercise equipment in it and I've got fairly specific goals of how I want that to be used. And, um, you know, time with family, time with friends, all, all the other sort of touchy-feely stuff that I strongly endorse but have zero expertise in <laughs> stuff brings me joy as well. But in fact, so long as we're in this scenario, one of the things that I'm really enjoying at the moment is that in an attempt to bring a bit of relief to um, our nanny, we're super lucky that we have help with um, childcare um, and we've got two kids who are school age and then a third as well, is that um, I leave the shed where I'm doing work uh, at around noon most days and I sort of come home and uh, grumpily walk straight to the bedroom and say, good night, I'm going to have a nap. And then magically straight away um, out emerges someone who looks very, very much like me that wears a backwards cap and an old cardigan, and that's Mr. Dad. <laughs> Mr. Dad comes out and teaches a class for an hour um, on like creativity or like making songs or, you know, drawing pictures or just very watery Mr. Dad type stuff. And, you, you know, having having time with the children, uh, directly interacting with them in a really engaged way that's not just the end of the night when you're running them through dinner bath bed is really, really, really lovely as well if we're talking about well-being stuff in, in these unusual circumstances. I think um, that is just the most powerful summary of this hour or so of conversation. And you said before, really, the thing that I think brings you or how you get happiness into your career is by being yourself. And by being yourself, it's enabling you to attract people into your business life, I suspect both as clients and as colleagues, who are like-minded. And that just that does make life easier for a whole range of reasons. But your final comment there around the silver linings, of the current crisis that the world is living through and the ability to have that hour with your children, for me, sums up the person that I've come to know you as. <laughs> and I, I think I think that that's the bit that I love, James, is, you know, you are a commercial litigator. I literally was watching you on Instagram talking about all of the things in court that I dislike and going, wow, this is super interesting. <laughs> and, and you can walk between that traditional world of this is what it looks like to be a male lawyer doing this hardcore stuff and yet there's this really well thought out human being sitting behind it who gets what matters in life and and that's what that's what I've enjoyed coming to know you uh, uh, over the last couple of years it no doubt began with that damn thesis back 15 (laughs) years ago but I think that's cool and I think for the future of law the more we have these you know deeper conversations around the stereotypes and the expectations of all of us, man, woman, whatever, Mm. the better for the profession because I think we're at this beautiful turning point, particularly in light of the current crisis, around what does it mean to be a lawyer for another 20, 30, 40, 50 years and do we need to be killing ourselves in the way that historically the profession seems to have thought that was the right way of doing things and I'm not persuaded it is the right way. I think there's just so much more to life. You nearly, you nearly had me tear up there, Clarissa. I thought, I thought you were the uh, crying risk when we started chatting, but now I'm <laughs> the crying risk. No, 
No, I, I, we can't hear you because of the renovation, so you'll be able to cry and no one will. <laughs> well, like, I just, I just can't, I, I can't but endorse those comments closer. I think, I think we're about to see, like, whatever it is, it looms for us all, and we're going to find out. Mm. Final question. Yes. Happiness tip. What have you got? Uh, it, uh, well, I can't say um, <laughs> skin, skin, skin contact wine because I feel that um, alcohol and the legal profession are, are sort of have a very deep and perhaps problematic relationship. I'm not, I'm not sure I have one, Clarissa. Like my happiness tip is only is me specific and is more or less keep going. Um, and then if I had a happiness tip for others, it would be try to let the mask slip as often and as thoroughly as you can. Um, letting other people know who you are <laughs> is not just a powerful thing for you, it's a powerful thing in building a relationship. It's perfect. And given that they've just started some sort of power tool behind you, <laughs> we are finishing at just the right moment. Oh, we're just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank for you having. so much. Oh, thank you for joining me. And for everyone listening, this is the first time I've attempted to record online. This is what COVID's done to me. And what I love about my show is that it's always been an in-person show. And I, I do miss that I'm not sitting actually talking to you, James, because that would have been lovely. But the significant advantage of doing this is that we got to do this podcast, which was something we've been trying to line up for a long time and travel and distance makes it more tricky. So there are advantages, but thank you for setting aside the time, hiding in the shed, doing all of <laughs> the things that you had to do i really appreciate it i loved it and uh look you, you know long time was the first time guest hugely hugely grateful to be a part of it thank you so so much no worries so there are a few silver linings in this pandemic and one of them absolutely is going to be the opportunity for me to interview lawyers that I just otherwise wouldn't be able to interview. Now James and I had organised to meet when I was in Sydney next but it doesn't look like I'll be leaving sunny Brisbane for quite some time so I'm really grateful to him for being my guinea pig for this first online show Happy Lawyer Happy Life the podcast via Zencaster whoever thought that was a thing. Um, but the advantage in this means that if you're listening and you live well outside of Brisbane, even overseas, I can now interview you. So if you or someone you know is the perfect guest for my show, please reach out via email clarissa at bflc.com.au or jump on my website and you'll find the contact details there, happylawyerhappylife.com. Um, I would love to have you. Otherwise, guys, whatever's going on for you this week, I hope you're okay. It's been a fascinating few weeks for me. The um, trials and tribulations of running a business during a pandemic. There's been tears most days, <laughs> but you know, we're managing. It's, um, it's going to be something to write a book about, I think, when we're all finished. But wherever you are, please look after yourselves and I will see you on the airwaves next week. <laughs> Help me, help me.